you desire to attend Bible college or seminary, but know that it would be incredibly difficult to uproot your family and move somewhere? Maybe you desire to attend seminary, but you don't want to leave your local congregation. Let me tell you about my seminary, Whitfield Theological Seminary. Whitfield is a conservative, confessional, classical, reformed seminary who wants to come alongside congregations and assist them in raising up a pastor. The training of a minister should be done alongside of a congregation. Whitfield offers online classes so that you can fulfill your calling without having to move your family or abandon your church. Go check them out at www.reformed.info. That is www.reformed.info. Tell them you heard about them on The Daily Brew. We at The Daily Brew take the Bible and the study of it very seriously. Have you ever wondered where we or our special guests go when we want to dive into God's Word more deeply? We go to Logos, the best Bible software available. From in-depth word studies in the original languages to commentaries from scholars, both new and old. There are lexicons and grammars and sermons and collected works of heroes of the faith. And even ancient texts for the serious Bible students. Never before has so many great tools been bundled together into one software. To learn more about this incredible ministry, call 888-390-7341. That's 888-390-7341. While you're there, go ahead and tell them that you heard about this incredible software on The Daily Brew. Listen up, Daily Brew subscribers and listeners. I want to tell you about our newest partner, Audio Blocks and Video Blocks. They're an incredible resource if you're looking for background footage, background audio. We use them for all our video and audio uh, needs. If you're needing background clips, if you're needing short footage for any video that you're making for your business or your church, or just looking for background noises for putting something together, they have everything you need, a huge selection. You have to go check them out. Go check them out at audioblocks.com or videoblocks.com. Are you looking for something fun to do on these hot summer days? Are you looking for something fun for the whole family? Go check out Ripley's Aquarium in the Smokies. This has been rated the number one aquarium in the country. If you're looking to waddle with the penguins or sleep with the sharks, this is the place for you. For an up-close view, check out their glass bottom boat. Ripley's Aquarium in the Smokies has something for the whole family. For more information, go to ripleyaquariums.com. You are busy. You are always on the go. But are you making time for you? The Y is dedicated to helping you stay active, live better, and find the best possible version of you. From basketball courts to functional training space, indoor pools, and yoga studios, the best of Knoxville is right in your backyard. Group classes and personal trainers that will challenge and encourage you. The Y has something for everyone. Join the Y and get unlimited access to all five locations. From the heart of downtown Knoxville to Farragut and Halls, all with no contracts. For a better us.
This is The Daily Brew. This is The Daily Brew. Uh, I am the host, Adam Holland. I have my co-host with me, Alex Vlognow. Thank you for joining me, sir. As they say at Chick-fil-A, it's my pleasure. Amen. Amen. Um, what do you think of the new mac and cheese at Chick-fil-A, by the way? Dude, I haven't had a chance to have it because we don't have any Chick-fil-A really in Detroit. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I got to go on vacation to go try. All the reason to move south. All the reason to move south. <laughs> so it's, I'm, I'm not going to exaggerate. It's probably the best mac and cheese I've ever had. No. Chick-fil-A, I'm going to be my sponsor. Um, if you're listening to this, I would highly encourage and that and accept it. They definitely are listening to it. You know that. Oh, amen, amen. So let me catch us up where we are in the biblical narrative. We've been going book by book through uh, the Old Testament. Uh, we have made our way to Deuteronomy. So uh, last uh, last week, we or last uh, time we were together, we had uh, Ken Jones with us uh, from the White Horse Inn. Um, and now it's uh, me and Alex, uh, round two, we're actually looking at the book of Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy, where we are, uh, Genesis uh, ends with the Israelites down in Egypt. They've uh, made their way down there and uh, because of the famine. And the book of Exodus begins 400 years later. Um, they have forgotten about Joseph and Pharaoh, or the Pharaoh currently has forgotten about Joseph. And so then they're enslaved uh, for 400 years. God then delivers them out of slavery they make their way through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. They are there uh, for about a year and a half in Mount Sinai, and they get instructions for building the tabernacle. Uh, so Exodus ends with instructions for building the tabernacle, but the problem is Moses couldn't go into the tabernacle by the end of it. Uh, so Leviticus begins with how is it that Moses is going to enter in the presence of God. We need atonement. So the book of Leviticus begins with explaining how is it that we can enter into God's presence. Uh, we are sinners. We've done great sins. So how is it that we're going to enter into his presence? So then Leviticus is filled with uh, explanations of the different and various sacrifices. How is it that we can uh, become reconciled to God? So God mercifully uh, offers various sacrifices like the guilt offering, the sin offering, uh, the grain offering, and the peace offering. So then the book of Numbers, all of Leviticus takes place at Sinai. Uh, the book of Numbers begins at Sinai, and then they slowly make their way to the wilderness till they reach the edge of the banks of uh, the promised land of Canaan. And they send spies in. The spies say that uh, there are great giants in this land and we should go back. We're better off in slavery. And then Moses uh, rebukes them. The people uh, still complain. So then God kills off the first generation of uh, the Israelites. So they didn't make it to the promised land. So Moses is still there. He strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. Uh, He's told he's not going to make it into the promised land. But Exodus begins with them on the banks of the promised land as they're getting ready to go in. This new generation is getting ready to go into um, the promised land. So the title of it, before uh, I've been a little long-winded with my introduction, but the title of it is called The Second Law. Uh, the reason it's called The Second Law is because uh, this new generation has never heard the law. Um, the first generation died off in the wilderness, so they've never heard of the great things that the Lord did and how he delivered them out of slavery. Um, but it's going to begin with a reminder of the fact that God has delivered them out of slavery. It doesn't begin with this statement, 
do these works and you'll make it into the promised land? No, it begins with the fact that I'm your God. I've promised you this land, and I have delivered you out of slavery. So they begin, and God's going to give them this law as uh, instruction um, to guide these redeemed people. So Deuteronomy 5, 6, this is the, the famous beginning of it. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So this is a redeemed people. They're already redeemed. They're not working their way into the promised land. They are redeemed people who are now giving the law to live. Uh, instruction for godly living, and that's what the book of Deuteronomy is about. It's not save yourselves to make your way into the promised land, but God has saved you, so now you live. So with that in mind, uh, Alex, uh, do you want to you jump in here and give us any thoughts? Yeah, two thoughts, just, just jumping off what you just said. Number one, um, if anybody wants to Google this, I think it's from the they're based on articles in the ESV uh, Gospel Transformation Bible, but I don't know if it's on the the Crossway website or whatever. But they've got a whole list of articles like the Gospel and very similar to what we're doing, uh, the Gospel in Genesis, the Gospel in uh, all the way to Revelation, and in the article that talks about Deuteronomy mentions what you just said that most of people think of the Book of Deuteronomy exclusively as a second giving of the law, and a lot inside of, you know, the middle section of the book is all uh, a retelling of the law, but like you just said, it begins with a reminder of grace, you know, God redeeming his people and then giving him his law, and ends with grace that there, that Israel has a bright future. Uh, and so the middle section of actually doing the law is sandwiched by these two sections on grace that the people can only hear the law because of the grace of God and they can and, and then their motivation for doing the law is the grace of the past and the grace of the future and so I, I mean I thought that was you know that fits perfectly with what you just said the only thing I, I wanted to mention before we got into details was you know if you read through the book of Deuteronomy most people believe it's Moses last sermon or or maybe three sermons depending on how you divide it up. Uh, Moses, the man of God, the prophet speaking uh, to the people. And I just it just made me think of, you know, and speaking of or thinking about how it's pointing us forward to Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so even as we see Moses preaching, as we see the prophet preaching, we're, we're being drawn to the final word of God, which is his son, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Sp- speaking of that, uh, uh, we were discussing before this call, one of the significant passages about this, uh, this concept is where Jesus is talking about Moses in John 5. Do not think that uh, I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses. And he says, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. Mm. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus is reading the Old Testament as if Moses is writing and looking forward to him. Um, All these things uh, are pointing to Jesus. And if you believe Moses' words... We want to be faithful to these things, then we need to understand how they're pointing forward to and looking forward to Jesus. One of the things that's interesting about Deuteronomy, and the reason I think we need to read it 
especially for wanting to understand our New Testament, is that the majority of the, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy is quoted more than any other book in the, of the Old Testament in the New Testament. So Deuteronomy is quoted more often than any other Old Testament book in the New Testament. Yeah, and, and to that point, Jesus himself, along with other writers, like you said, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy more than any other book. And I thought it was interesting, just when you were talking, it made me think of Jesus, um, in, in, like in Luke, in Luke 4, when Jesus goes out into the wilderness, as Moses and Israel are in the wilderness, you said they haven't entered the promised land, yet Jesus is in the wilderness when he's tempted by Satan in Luke 4, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy three times uh, back to the enemy. And so just as Israel was tempted, you mentioned it, dude, they were tempted to not trust the Lord, and they didn't, and that's why they had to wait 40 years. Uh, where they failed, Jesus literally quotes Deuteronomy, literally quotes the second giving of the law to Satan as he's in the wilderness, fulfilling Israel's vocation. Amen. Another interesting thing about the book of Deuteronomy, it's set up as what's known as a Hittite basil tree. Mm-hmm. Um, you may, uh, if, if you're listening in on this, you may have heard or referred to as a suzerain treaty. Um, what that means, the Hittites had suzerain trees. What that is, what you have is a greater king made a covenant with a lesser king. So if we're going to battle, let's say uh, you have two two powers going against each other. So let's imagine Peyton Manning against Tom Brady. Now, <laughs> the greater king, being Peyton Manning, would establish uh, oh, no. a covenant with the lesser <laughs> king, being Tom Brady. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Sorry. Uh, this, is, this is some brotherly rivalry here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> amen, amen. <laughs> The greater king establishes a covenant with the lesser king, mm-hmm. and it always begins with a preamble. Um, after the preamble, you then um, have a history of the two people um, who are making this covenant, and then there's stipulations, uh, explanation of the relationship, and then blessings and cursings, um, and that's followed by the witnesses of this covenant. Well, and that's how the, the structure was set up. It was prominent within this culture to set up covenants this way. Well, the book of Deuteronomy is set up by this suzerain treaty. Um, the structure of the of the book, he outlines it, and the way he outlines it is in this pattern. It's the same pattern as a covenant. Well, there's other places we see these covenants enacted, and it's kind of interesting. If you look back to the book of Genesis, um, you have one example of this is with Abraham and God himself. Hmm. So, God, uh, Abraham is promised this land, he's promised this, this seed and this blessing. Well, Abraham asked for a sign. Well, all of a sudden, you have uh, it become not, uh, Abraham has this vision, and you have what was common practice during this covenant is an animal slaughtered and be placed on two sides. And then what would happen is the lesser king was supposed to walk through um, the blood in between these two carcasses. And and it was as if they were saying, you slaughter this animal, and the lesser king is walking through, and he says, basically, in essence, if I'm unfaithful to this covenant, let it be done to me as it was done to this animal. So as mm. they look at these animals, as they remind themselves of the covenant, as the covenant uh, was laid out before them, um, oftentimes they would put it at the feet of whatever god they worshipped. Um, the covenant would be a reminder to them, and that God would be looking down upon them of this covenant. Well, anyway... Um, you would think that this covenant that's getting ready to be established between God and Abraham, Abraham would be the lesser king. Right. And um, he would be the one who's walking through this animals, well, you know, through this, the, the carcass of these two animals. What's interesting, though, with Abraham, the story of this covenant, the suzerain covenant, is 
he sees in his vision this animal slaughtered, and now he sees this torch walking through the center of it. And it's as if God himself is walking through this covenant. And God is saying, if I'm unfaithful to this covenant, if I'm unfaithful to you, if I don't fulfill these promises, let it be done to me as it was done to these animals. And it's backwards in our thinking. It is up to this point in the book of Genesis, at least, over and over again, Adam and Eve are called to be fruitful and multiply. They're unfaithful to the task. Noah's called to be uh, fruitful and multiply. He's unfruitful to, I mean, he's unfaithful to the task. And up to this point, no one has been able to live up to God's righteous standard. No one has filled the earth with his glory. Well, hmm. then Abraham is called to leave her, and Abraham believes. Uh, he believes the Lord, and it's counted to him as righteousness. And now we see, because of his faith, God was going to do what Abraham could not do, what Noah could not do, what Adam could not do. And God tells Abraham, I am going to make you fruitful, and I am going to make you, or I'm going to multiply. So now we see God is going to be the one fulfilling this covenant. What man could not do, God is now going to do. And what we see in the law, and especially as we come to Deuteronomy, salvation is very similar to that. It's structured in, um, in a Hittite vassal tree or as a Susan, a suzerain tree. God is going to be fulfilling this law where man could not do that. So the book of Deuteronomy is structured in this fashion, reminding us that God has entered in this covenant with us, and he will be faithful. He will take on the cursings of the covenant in Jesus. Mm. Um, he will take the curses so that we receive the blessings. Uh, where we've been unfaithful to the covenant, God will remain faithful. And so I think that's a, a, an interesting thing in this. Um, another one and then I, I don't want to take over the conversation with this, but the, I think... Hey, amen, that's good stuff. Yeah, amen. I think these are fun conversations to have, but one of the most significant parts of the book of Deuteronomy is come, has come to be known as the Shema. Uh, what that means right. is the teaching or the law. Yeah. I'm sorry, not the law, the instruction. Um, and it's Deuteronomy 6, and it begins with, The hero is the role the Lord God is one. Um, this passage is like the, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Right. And every Jew, whenever they have a bar mitzvah or a bad mitzvah, they're required, or required to recite this. It's one of the first significant passages you have to recite before everyone. Um, so at their bar mitzvah or bad mitzvah, they have to recite this passage, and it's one of the most significant um, passages to them. Well, it's significant in Judaism, and Jesus quotes to it. He says, uh, he's like, you believe the Lord God is one. That is good. So he quotes it, and then Paul quotes it as well. And the one that's interesting here is, it calls us to be one. Um, Paul quotes it in Ephesians 6. He says, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 4. Um, he gives uh, Ephesians 1. He says, God's restoring all things to the created order. Ephesians 2, he's doing it through the gospel. And then the rest of Ephesians, he's giving us implications of that gospel and a lot of the fact that God's restoring all things uh, to the corrected order. Well, in Ephesians 4, he says that we are to be one because God is one. Our unity is to be a reflection of uh, this Shema passage um, you know, we believe the fact that God is one. Well, if God is one and he's restoring all things to the correct order, then we are to be a reflection of that oneness. So the way this plays out and the reason I think this is important, it's not just for, to fill up our theological minds, but in the church, our unity is a display. It's a reflection of heaven. So when people come into our congregations, they're getting to see a small glimpse of what heaven looks like. They're getting mm -hmm. to see what God looks like what this unity within the Trinity that's existed since the foundation of the world, since the world was ever even created, what this unity looks like. So I think there's practical implications in Deuteronomy that if we want to be like the Lord, if we want 
to be a reflection of Christ defeating sin, then we need to put away all of our petty disagreements, and we need to uh, be unified because um, people are getting to see a glimpse of heaven. Heaven is coming to earth in the church, and we're getting to see, the world gets to see what it looks like when Christ has defeated sin and a people are gathered together, united around it. Amen. Amen, man. That's good. I also, I wanted to uh, to mention, I sent you that article right when we were getting ready to talk. I read earlier, Tim Keller wrote it a couple years ago it's on Gospel Coalition, something about when Moses preached the gospel. Um, but it's from Deuteronomy 30, Keller's talking about. And this section of Deuteronomy 30, as the book's getting ready to come to a close, and Moses basically says to Israel, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to follow the covenant. Like everything you just laid out in the the vassal a treaty, they would have understood all that context. Here's our history. Here's the stipulations. Here's the blessing and cursings. You need to follow this. Um, and then he immediately goes on to say, but you're not going to follow it. Like you're going to go into exile. Uh, you're supposed to do it, but you can't. Um, but, but there's hope because God is going to circumcise your heart. Uh, the circumcision that you live out in your flesh is going to happen to your heart. Um, you know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk on that. And, and that was fulfilled, obviously, like you just mentioned before, in Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one who, who basically takes our, uh, for, you know, circumcision. I mean, Col- you know, Colossians talks about the circumcision of Christ. Jesus on the cross is cut off um, from from the blessing of God, and he takes the judgment. But then Moses goes on to say immediately after that, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, For this I commanded, that I command you today, is not too hard for you, neither is it uh, far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us? that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. He's saying you don't have to go to other countries, nations. The word of God is here with you. And then in Romans 10, you just mentioned what Paul said. What Paul says in Romans 10, he literally quotes that passage verbatim. And then goes on to explain what the word is that's in your mouth and in your heart. In verse 9, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so this is another example, like you mentioned, of uh, how quotable Deuteronomy is, how much it's quoted not only by Jesus, but the rest of the New Testament, I mean, Paul is literally taking these ideas of judgment, salvation, covenant, blessing, cursing, and saying that they're fulfilled in the gospel, that that's the word that is near to us. Amen. So if we want to understand the gospel, we need to understand Deuteronomy. No question. Absolutely. Another uh, significant passage passage in Deuteronomy and how it looks forward to Christ is Moses talks about, so Moses is not going to make it in the promised land. Um, but Moses talks about how there's going to be a greater prophet um, come mm. after him. So Deuteronomy mm. 18, he says, uh, verse 15, he says, The Lord God will raise up a, uh, raise up you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So he's talking about this greater prophet who will come, um, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name um, that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods the same prophet shall die. And he keeps on going on, and he talks about looking forward to this prophet who will speak 
and all his words will come true because he's going to speak the things of the Lord. Well, interesting enough, when we come to the New Testament, after Jesus provides bread in the wilderness, um, he also provides fish. It sounds very similar to what Moses has done with Yahweh. He always provided bread and manna in the wilderness. After he does this great event in the Gospel of John and John 6, it's interesting, after he's sitting on this mountain, uh, they've come to take him by force. Uh, Jesus withdrew from the mountain. And then once you go down, right after that event takes place, in John seven forty, these people saw him provide all these miraculous things. They see him provide the bread and the fish. This is the response in John seven forty. He says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Mm. Uh, so it, it's looking forward to, Moses is looking forward to the day when this greater prophet would come. When Jesus is going to be that greater prophet. He's, um, as you mentioned earlier from Hebrews 1, uh, long ago God spoke to the prophets in many portions in many ways, but now he speaks to us through Jesus. He is the, the greater reality of that, what it looked forward to. Um, I'll end with uh, this one additional point that I think is helpful. One of the things that Deuteronomy looks forward to um, is a changed heart. So Deuteronomy 4, 29-31 says this, But from there you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him, if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation, all these things come upon you in your latter days. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is merciful God. I think that's a, an amazing way how it begins. It starts off with not uh, he is this uh, evil God trying to get you to obey these commandments, but you can't. But no, it's he's merciful. He's redeemed us. We haven't deserved it. He's redeemed us. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So he talks about how we are going to come back and obey his voice one day. It's looking forward to a day when we're going to obey his voice. And I think what Deuteronomy, the second law, looks forward to is one day the law is no longer going to be written on stone tablets, but it's looking forward to the new covenant when the law is now going to be written on our hearts. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts so that now we have the law in our hearts and we desire to obey it. We'll pursue obedience, not because we're trying to um, get God to be in favor of us or, or Him to love us, but no, because He loves us, we are in Christ. Um, he loved us and sent Christ for us. If you are in Christ, um, you are loved. Therefore, we will now desire to obey because He loves us. Um, it's rooted in that love. Man, I'm ready to go preach Deuteronomy right now. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> well, Alex, it has been a joy to have you on again. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule, man. Thanks, dude. I love it.